if you remember, when we first started this series on the Sermon on the Mount, we said if you really read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you will have to reckon with this idea that Jesus was um, acceptable as a good teacher, uh, but not necessarily uh, you don't need to receive him as your Lord. Because we said there's a lot of hard, hard things in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, if you do not accept sort of the authority of Christ, as we sang about earlier, if you don't accept him as your Lord, there's no way you're going to think he was a good teacher. Uh, because this stuff is crazy. And, and when we come to this particular section right here, especially I think as we come in the particular time in the world that we are in right now, I'm thinking of Russia uh, taking their aggression into Ukraine, uh, think even, uh, you know, that's been on the world stage as, as Brian alerted to a little bit earlier. Uh, we all come with our own sort of aggressions in life, uh, the aggressions that people have taken into our lives uh, relationally. You know, part of our, our Sunday school class for the month of March is how do we deal with the relational difficulties that are in our lives? Jesus' teaching in the midst of this comes and, and really, as we sang in the Authority of Christ song, it challenges and it troubles. You know, what does it mean when he says, love your enemies? What does it mean when he uh, talks to us about not resisting evil or an evil one? How do we process that? How do we process this in a world that says, you know, you protect your own castle? Uh, how do we process this in a world where we see aggression uh, moving forward? We see power. I think you can feel the tension that is here as we come to this particular passage. So I, I just want us to wrestle with it. I, I want us to look at it to see what was it that Jesus was pushing into in a world where the Romans... Uh, were the overlords in the world where the Romans uh, were, were taxing, were, ha, could do all of these different things to the people that they subjugated. What was it that Jesus said? How did he want us to, um, how did he want us to understand the law, uh, both the Old Testament law and his fulfillment of that law? Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And how does it apply in these particular, uh, these particular areas? So three things for you. First of all, I want to look at just how twisted things got in those days as Jesus is finishing off dealing with the law. We've seen this over the last several weeks. I want to look then at how Jesus expands it and finally how Jesus uh, fulfills it. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at these six antithesis, and this is numbers five and number six uh, in that list. And we have said that over the course of, um, over the course of history, 
humanity has wanted to reduce uh, God's law uh, to something that was manageable uh, and, and a way then that it could be manipulated to prove their righteousness. And head of the class in this was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, uh, reducing things like you shall not kill down to the actual physical act of murder. You shall not commit adultery to the actual physical act of taking somebody who is not your spouse into your bed. Those were the ways that they reduced it. Jesus came through and expanded it in every other, in every instance that if you hate your brother, if you deride them, if you think little of your brother or a sister, you've murdered them in your heart. If you look at a person who is not your spouse with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with them. Jesus expands these things. But here we see, and in some ways, it's really the culmination of it because we're going to hear a couple of things here that really stand out here. We see that we do this not only in these other areas, but we do this with the primary, the primary command to love. You remember, God's law can be summed up in this way. Love the Lord your God above all and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. But look at how these scribes and Pharisees, look at how easy it was for these to get twisted. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, interesting note here, whenever he says you have heard it said, uh, this is not the same as it, was, it is written. Uh, we, in our scripture that we read, the Lenten gospel readings, you saw Jesus several times there responding to Satan by saying, it is written, uh, man shall not live by bread alone. There he is quoting God's law. When he is saying here, you have heard it said, he's, he's talking about the ways that things are being interpreted in the present day. Now, this does happen, this first one here, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That does happen to be a, uh, a direct quotation, um, uh, a direct quotation from the law of God, specifically Exodus 21, uh, Deuteronomy 19. But what Jesus is tri uh, trifling with here is the interpretation, because he goes on to say, I say to you, do not, re do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue, take your tunic, sue you and take your tunic. Let him have your cloak as well. We'll go into the, the list of four that Jesus gives here. What, what is going on? What is Jesus uh, confronting in what is being said in the interpretation and the way that this law was practiced? Well, this is a, a very famous law, uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, it's called the Lex Talionis, uh, if you are Latin scholars, you like that sort of thing, uh, and it is sort of uh, stands above uh, a lot of law, you know, this idea of justice uh, that, is, uh, that is to be meted out, and that was its purpose. Uh, its purpose in the Israelite society was for the courts uh, to use it in restraining vengeance uh, so that uh, there was an attitude of grace and forgiveness that pervaded in the community. Let me demonstrate how it worked. Uh, let's say, for instance, that Rob uh, goes over to the Tennies 
uh, the Laplacas, and he kills their cow. And uh, the, the Tennies are very upset about that. And so they go and they say, I'm going to kill five of your cows. Uh, and so then the, it begins to escalate until uh, there is eventually bloodshed and there is strife between the families. And so the, the way that the Lord set it up is he said, you, you, you cannot or vengeance is not to be meted out beyond that uh, which has been hurt. And, and this was the law of the land to restrain, to restrain evil from escalating it, uh, for restrain evil from getting out of hand. This was a merciful measure to constrain it. What was happening in this day, and I think you can see this in, in our own hearts, is that it no longer became a matter of public interest in order to restrain evil, but the interpretation became one of personal vengeance that needed to be meted out and mandated in any type of slight. So if uh, Greg Stowicki hurts me, it is my absolute duty. I'm picking on all the deacons today. I'm not sure why. Uh, maybe because uh, I'm seeing them. But uh, thank you for being here. Uh, uh, it, you know, it's, it's my duty. It's my right to get my pound of flesh from him. And what Jesus is saying is that is a complete misconstrual of this law. This law was given to you to restrain evil, but you have now flipped it on its head and are using it in order to justify your own uh, pursuit of evil, harm, against another person when you have other options. And that is what Jesus is saying here when he's saying resist evil. Uh, he, he's not saying that we are to be doormats. He's not saying that we are not to fight for justice. That would be silly. Uh, now, there are some that have taken this. I think you know very famously uh, some of the, the Russian writers, Tolstoy in particular, uh, ironically, in this day and age, it was a complete pacifist. Uh, Gandhi, uh, who followed a lot of Tolstoy, uh, adopted it. And they would go back to this particular uh, passage as the absolute call for resisting any type of revenge or resisting any, doing any ty type of harm to somebody who is evil. But that doesn't completely fit with what we see in the rest of the scriptures. The rest of the scriptures were, were called, and, and Israelite society is called to stand up against evil. Uh, even in the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We, we see Jesus standing up and resisting the evil uh, that was going on in the, in the tabernacle. We see the psalm writers uh, praying imprecatory prayers against evil. Now, to be clear, they were not praying that they would be the instruments of it, but they were praying to God for justice. But this idea of hungering and thirsting for justice, you know, Romans uh, says that the, the state bears the sword. So we have to put this in the context of, of the entirety of the scriptures. And it seems like what Jesus is saying here 
is that there is a place for vengeance and justice. Primarily, it belongs to me. I have given it to the state to meet out in particular cases. But we must be careful that we do not use the law of God, which is meant to restrain evil, as an excuse to uh, perpetrate evil particularly when there is another option. I hope that makes sense. It's a little bit of a, of, a, of a tricky concept. Maybe you can see it a little more clearly in the sixth antithesis. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, does any, any bells go off with that? I mean, certainly the law says love your, uh, love your neighbor. But there is nowhere in God's law where it says to hate your enemy. But in some ways, this is the clearest example of the way that the, the religious leaders were twisting the word of God. So again, this is a, you have heard it said. It's not an it is written. Uh, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the way that they, they, they sort of manipulated this law is they said, well, we're what we're told is to love our neighbor. And we're not told anything about those who are not our neighbor. We're not told anything about those who are our enemy, who, who want to do us harm. Therefore, since we're not told anything about that, it is okay for us to hate them. And, and that's the way the, the twisting goes uh, in, in our hearts and in our minds. And Jesus says, no, no. Uh, there, is, there is something that I need to challenge you with, a new sort of justice. One writer puts it this way, Jesus offers a new sort of justice, a creative, healing, restorative justice. The old justice found in the Bible was designed to prevent revenge running away with itself. Better an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, than an escalating feud with each side going on worse than the other. But Jesus goes one better still, better to have no vengeance at all, but rather a creative way forward, reflecting the astonishingly patient love of God himself, who wants Israel to shine his light into the world uh, so that all people will see that he is the one true God and that his deepest uh, nature is his overflowing love. Uh, Jesus is saying, do not use the law as justification for you maintaining your rights, for you, uh, uh, for you uh, getting the vengeance that you think that you need. That, that would be a twist of the law, something that our hearts are very prone to do. So what is, what is Jesus uh, pointing us to? Well, you got some hints of it there in that quote that I just read. He, he's offering a different kind of resistance. I, I think part of what he's saying when he says, resist not an evil man is, one, he's saying, leave it to the, the proper authorities. Secondly, consider the nature of the resistance because he's not telling us to simply be passive. Do you notice that? He, he's not telling us that we should remain passive, but rather he's inviting us into an expanded type of resistance. He's inviting us into an expanded type of power, one that can only come through him. 
gives four examples. If somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek. If somebody sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. Maybe I got that mixed up uh, backwards. But uh, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And if they something about money at the end. Uh, If they beg from you, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He gives four different examples having to do with our our bodies, um, our reputations, uh, striking somebody on the cheek. It's not so much about the physical harm there. It's about the insult that that does, particularly within the Aramaic culture. Uh, my understanding is that that is still true today. There is a, there's a deep insult to your person, to your reputation that is involved in that. So Jesus uh, comments on our body. He comments on our reputation. He comments on our possessions, our money. He comments on our service that we provide to people. He gives really a very comprehensive view of life here. And and what he he is inviting us to, what he's enjoining us to, what he is commanding in all of his love, what he is commanding his followers to do as an ethic of of the kingdom, is he says, use this power in whatever area of life uh, it is coming into your, into your world, uh, to turn the tables on the one who is oppressing you uh, and to resist them, to, to overpower them with love. No longer just simply go the mile with them, go two miles with them. And when you do, you will break the bond that they had. They had a bond of coercion. Uh, But you have the power of loving them willingly that allows you to, to demonstrate a mastery over them. Not that we're seeking to master them for ourselves, but a mastery that is based on love. Some of you recognize, uh, I mean, this is a, a, a biblical theme. It's a longitudinal theme throughout the scriptures. We see it in Proverbs 25. Paul picks up on it in Romans chapter uh, 12, the end there of the chapter. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Uh, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of it of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, uh, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the alternate power of the gospel, which Jesus is inviting us to. Don't be passive. Don't just receive, but go on the offensive with love. Seek to take the insult. Seek to uh, incur the loss in order that you can love. Now, again, 
I recognize that we pursue justice in different ways, and there are different entities within our world that are given to us to pursue justice. You know, we're talking about this in a world in which Russia has invaded Ukraine. Uh, how is it that Ukraine is to respond? I think their state has particular responsibilities to respond to that aggression. But each individual has choices on how they are to respond. And we've seen this throughout the history of wars. We've seen this in Denmark uh, during World War II, who very famously, uh, you know, all wore the stars, marking them as Jews, uh, in order that it made it impossible for the Nazis to do their worst. Otherwise, they would have had to take the whole country. You know, there, there were choices that were made in those situations uh, to fight in different ways uh, than we most naturally think of when we think of going on the offensive or the aggression. And we just see this so much in our society. I mean, we, we talk about our rights, and it's on, speaking of rights, it's on the right, you know, politically. Uh, it's on the left. Uh, ideologically, I mean, we see people say, we have to take back that which is threatened. You know, whether it's... A, and, and it is the world's way of thinking about things. Jesus says, I am inviting you to something that is deeper. I am inviting you to something that has more power than any firearm can ever have, that has more power than the greatest nuclear warhead that has ever been created. And I guess part of you know, the challenge and the troubling nature of Jesus' teaching is, do we really believe that? You know, we have these big questions, but what about in, in my home? You know, when Lisa and I are at odds with each other, which happens? <laughs> you know, do I insist on the weapon of my being right and winning the argument? Or am I willing to love her in a way that seeks to listen and to understand and to lay down my own rights for the sake of my wife. It's a lot of what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks throughout the course of you know, our Sunday school class. It comes right out of here. Jesus is inviting us to a, a deeper power. Um, one writer says it this way, Let the insults come, says Jesus. And show by your response that you feel no need for retaliation because your reputation is secure with God as his child. Let your response to insult be gracious, just as your father's response to your insult of sin against him has been so gracious. Will anyone be won for the kingdom by your retaliation, by your standing on your rights? How could they be when the king in our kingdom is one who did not retaliate?
This is the ethic. This is what challenges the world. This is why you can't simply accept the Sermon on the Mount as, as good teaching. Because it, it is so different. It is so challenging to our way of thinking. And, and so much of it is tied to the reality of who we are. Uh, I'm really resisting using the word identity. Uh, our identity in Christ, it's a good word as far as it goes. But identity in, in our day and age uh, has been reduced to this idea of thoughts. It's been disconnected from anything that is solid or real. Um, you can identify as anything. I saw a bumper sticker of an enormous truck the other day. I identify as a Prius. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's so disconnected from reality. But what Jesus is saying is when we do this, we show that we are children of our Father in heaven. There is a reality here that if we are, if, if Christ is our Lord, we've been adopted, we are in union with Him, we are part of His family. It's not just what we think, it's who we are. I mean, we've got the birth certificate to prove it. We, we, we are, we belong to Christ. We are His flesh and blood. We are His by the Spirit. And what he is saying to us is that because you belong to him, you have this power that is being made perfect in you. That's the, you saw the last few verses of, or the last verse of this section, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What, what is he saying here? First of all, he's connecting our identity with our heavenly father. He's saying, this is the stock, this is what, you know, these are the genes, this is the family trait that is flowing through your veins. Uh, you must be perfect. We hear that as morally perfect, like we can't make a mistake. That, that's not what he means here. This is the, the Greek word telos, a uh, form of that, which uh, translates the idea of, of fullness or purpose. Uh, here, here's how one idea or, or one writer puts it. He says, the Greek idea of perfection is functional. A thing is perfect if it fully realizes the purpose for which it was planned, designed, and made. A thing is teleos if it recognizes the purpose for which it's planned. A man is perfect. A human being is perfect if they realize the purpose for which they were created and sent into the world. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? This love offensive is the very purpose for which you were sent into the world. This is how you were designed. This is how you were made. This is the fullest expression of humanity that you could look an enemy in the eye and you could love them. You could be willing to lay down your life for them. Because that, after all, is how Jesus fulfilled this law. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to show you the way. I've come to, to lay down the footsteps that you are to walk in. 
How did our Savior walk? Listen to Isaiah 50. The Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who strike. I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and from spitting. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. We were his enemy. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace with his stripes. We are healed. Jesus opened up a new way of being human, again quoting, so that all who follow him can discover it. When they mocked him, he didn't respond. When they challenged him, he told quizzical, sometimes humorous stories that forced them to think differently. When they struck him, he took the pain. When they put the worst bit of Roman equipment on his back, the heavy cross piece on which he would be killed, he carried it out of the city to the place of his own execution. And when they nailed him to the cross, he prayed for them. What does Jesus say here? He says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may demonstrate yourselves to be children of your Father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is saying, you're different. You're different. How is the world going to know that you are different? What does he say in John 17 in his prayer? That the world may know that I am in them and you are in me. May they Love in a way that sets them apart. Brothers and sisters, our, our world is starving. It's being choked out for a lack of love. And you, me, us, it's our birthright. Our, our, our birthright, our adoption right is to love, to love those who persecute us, to love those who oppose us, to love those uh, who would do us harm, to show them that we will forgive them even as they are nailing the very uh, nails into our wrists and into our feet, hanging us on the instrument that will eventually be our death. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This was one of the favorite passages uh, for Martin Luther King Jr. He preached on this passage uh, probably more than any other passage that he preached on. He truly embodied in so many ways the call to love. They stood up against injustice, uh, but he chose to do it in a way that would not take arms. 
He spent many nights in the hospital, the prisons. Uh, he endured threats to his family, the besmirching of his reputation. Of course, he is not perfect, but there was a love offensive that was launched by a man that understood the gospel, who understood his Savior. Because ultimately, the Sermon on the Mount, again quoting, is about Jesus. This was the blueprint for his life. He asks nothing of his followers that he hasn't faced himself. The Sermon on the Mount isn't just about how to behave. We've talked about that. It's not about exterior uh, conformity and obedience. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and the dying Jesus and learning to reflect the love, reflect that love ourselves into this world that needs it so badly. King closed one of his sermons saying this, our civilization must discover this love. Individuals must discover this as they deal with other individuals. There is a tree planted on a hill and on that tree hangs the most, individual, the most influential character that ever came into this world. But never feel that that tree is a meaningless drama that took place on the stages of history. Oh no. That tree on that hill is a telescope through which we look out into the long vista of eternity and we see the love of God breaking forth in time. It is an eternal reminder to a power-drunk generation that love is the only way. It is an eternal reminder to a generation that is depending on nuclear and atomic energy, a generation depending on physical violence, that love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, we're, we're, we... <laughs> We, we have to be honest before you. It, it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, we, we so naturally want to say, but, what, but this or but that. Or, but we recognize that there is nuance throughout your scripture. We recognize that you have called us to stand for the rights of those who are being oppressed. We recognize all of these things. But we also recognize that you are showing us here something about our birthright as your children. You're showing us here something about the way to go forward in a world that is drunk on power. And Lord, we pray, we pray that you would give us wisdom uh, individually in community. We pray that you would teach us to pray for our enemies even as our Savior did, to come together, to pray for uh, those who aggress, um, those who oppress, to pray for uh, those who would besmirch the name of Christian. May we recognize, Lord, that you are the victor and that you did it by laying aside your power, laying it down in order to become 
uh, this one nailed to the cross. Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.